Hello and welcome to the Baby Giants Investing Podcast. Join us as we chat about the weird and wild world of small cap investing, all while searching for the precious few fast-growing businesses that have a shot at becoming industry giants. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Podcast guests and their clients may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. got Andrew and Claude in the house. It's been a pretty wild week. There's a lot of, well, not so wild on the ASX, I guess, the, the drama with OpenAI, which we'll get into in a second. I think some of the wildest stuff we've ever seen in tech, and I've been uh, spending far too much time following it. <laughs> Did you say we were in the house? We're in the house. In the house. All right, so let's kick off, though, with some good news. A- Andrew, you had some good news, which I feel like. <laughs> this this kind of gets into the you category of- You think it's good news. You can't bring something that you think is bad news. Okay, it's tech progress. Can I bring in some good news? I'm yeah. so excited. Mm-hmm. Queensland solved housing affordability <laughs> with their first home buyers grant. What a legend. Who knew? It was the solution was sitting there right in front of us all along. I don't tweet often, but that definitely <laughs> prompted a tweet. It was like, are you serious right now? <laughs> so oh. they're doubling the first home buyers grant to 30K. That yep. was that, right? And uh, yeah. Oh, that'll fix it. Yeah. <laughs> That's worked yeah. so, it's so well. Good to finally put this housing affordability troubles behind us, guys. Well done, Queensland, leading leading the nation. I love how they they lined up a chippy, like a young a young tradie, to like put a face to it. I was like the the PRBS that gets wrapped around these things is just <laughs> insulting. Anyway. <laughs> right, so the reason, just to unpack, because obviously there's layers of sarcasm here. The reason you think it's a bad idea is it'll just push up house prices, doesn't really make anything more affordable. It just pushes up house prices by 30K. You can make that argument intellectually and using reason and logic. And it's a pretty solid argument. But given that the first homeowner grant, I think the first, the original scheme goes back to 2000. So we've got like a couple of decades of trying this mm. and it's done nothing to-, yeah. to I, I, an, I think you have a point. Yeah. We, should, we should start, I guess, like maybe perhaps punishing non-home ownership more. So there could be an <laughs> extra tax if you don't own your home. Yeah. And that, I'm sure that will help people buy the home and then you won't have such a problem with people not owning their own homes. Yeah, yeah. They're just- now, Obviously, they're- I'm sarcastic as this is like, it's a regressive kind of thing, right? It's a regressive thing to do. And the saddest thing is that whoever the chippy that they roll out to be like, oh, great, this is great. Like, he's not getting any advantage from it. Like, what happens now is, you know, him and every person that's competing with him to buy a, a new build house under seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars has an extra fifteen k in their profit, mm-hmm. so that accrues to the developer or whoever it is that's building the house, not to the not to the chippy. It's this kind of proliferation of home buyer grants. It's a trick where you make people who have really struggle, you know, intellectually think that they're being helped. And whilst helping actually the people on the other side of the trade, the vendor, you know, if all of the labor voters or, you know, salt of the earth, liberal first home buyers who are, you know, celebrating this kind of thing, like all that it gives is this sort of maybe tiny relative advantage for them versus somebody who doesn't qualify for the for the grant. But, you know, the, the, the bigger advantage is obviously to the people who are already in the in the Ponzi scheme. The thing to denote here as well, this isn't some hot take where this is a fringe view. Like this, I, I don't think you could find any economist who thinks this is a good idea. Like mainstream economists. Yeah, it's not for, it's the, not, 
this is the whole thing. It's a trick, right? You, you what the reason Labor's doing it is because they want the the brick. You know, they want the the person that's working in a fairly low page job who can't buy a house. They want them to think that they're being helped by the Labor government, and and that's it's a it's a vote buyer basically. And then secretly, all of the people who already own houses are like, yes, yeah, sweet, yeah, 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 yeah. Give them another one. M- make it hundred k. You know, mm. so it's just like a trick. It's a trick. I can't yeah. believe it's still working like 20 years later. Yeah. Yeah. I actually think it's the, it's, I think behind closed doors, everyone is hyper aware of the fact that we have just, everyone is just aped into property. Everyone's up to the, I was like, it is the biggest elephant in the room and we just can't let this thing collapse in any way. I'm not even say collapse. We just can't let it. We, we have, we have painted ourselves into a corner economically. And so it's like the same with the immigration policy, let her rip, right? Because We've run out of options at this point. I mean, maybe we can relax standards a little bit more. Maybe there's a few bit of fiddling around the edges, but it's just sort of like we, I don't want to be the person who's at the helm when, when property collapses, right? No, so I will, I will do everything I can to kick that can down the road. And, and this just helps that, right? Did you guys read Alan Kohler's article about yeah, I did. Uh, this? He's such, yeah. he's such a good guy. Like we're lucky that we've got him writing about and, and talking to people because he actually is not trying to trick people. He's trying to say the only way you're going to solve this problem is very slowly suppress house price gains. Like keep it flat for 20 years. That's yeah. how you that's how you solve it. And quite frankly, anything else is just it should just be obviously how do we keep it fat, flat for 20 years? That should be the only question. And obviously giving home buyer grants is not a way to keep it flat for 20 years. But the trouble with the, uh, he's right because that's the least painful option because the other option would be to make it more affordable tomorrow which would, you know, require a 30% minimum sort of drawdown. Honestly, people who own property should want the flat for 20 years option. We should, oh, it's the we best should all be trying yeah. to vote for that because at some point, the people that don't own houses, such as your fine selves, will have a revolution, take over, and then bring in a <laughs> land tax and we're all screwed then. Yeah. I'm probably not the revolutionary reason for not owning house, but yeah, I'm with you on that. I think, the, I think you, do need, you need to have some balance. The the trouble with flat for 20 years, though, is that if you've embarked on a negative gearing strategy, that's not sustainable. That that the whole premise of that only works. Yeah, of course, but they're the exact people who should take the loss, right? Oh yeah, well, I'm just saying, but like that's- The people whose strategy was, I take a loss for a a tax discount, they should be the ones that are the baggies. Like if you had good policy, that's your bag holder right I mean, it's a disaster because I'm I'm bleeding. The the only reason I'm happy to bleed cash for so long is to eventually make it, make myself whole and then some on disposal. So flat in 20 years, I mean, even- even two, I did the maths at one point in time on some basic assumptions. Even some very low growth is is not going to help you out. But even I would dare say there's a lot of people who have rationalized pretty substantial mortgages on the basis of, well, it doubles every 10 years or seven years or whatever the number is. And it's it's going to be, I mean, the average home, first home buyer is now 37, 38, I think at this point in time. And you've now got 30, 35 year mortgages. So yeah, it's, co- gone, it's gone up and up as well, hasn't it? Yeah. And like, we well, get, I mean, who's, unless you've got a rich, rich parents, like how how do you do it at the age of twenty five? Even if there's two of you and you're both doctors, you can't just math, mathematically it doesn't work out unless you want to live in Gilgandra or somewhere. Yeah, so it's sort of it's sort well, of. Well, if you're young doctors, you need to live probably near a teaching hospital at some point anyway. So it's not really an option uh, unless you go just, regional. Anyway, how did you get me started on this course? 
<laughs> Welcome to off. our it's stocks podcast. We're having a property round at the end. Right, good, so good news, good news for homeowners. Anyway, <laughs> next bit of good news. Let's move right, on. Andrew, do the meta one that you're going to. So uh, before you get to the meta one, there was another research team that used MRI machines to to plug that into a model that used a large language model and did a bit of training, and they could work out what words you were hearing and thinking. It's like that was really cool. It's a very low temporal fidelity on MRI. In other words, the image only updates every 10 seconds. So it was amazing that it worked really well. Anyway, Meta, parent company of Facebook, came out and they approached it with a different I haven't heard of this before, magnetoencephalography, MEG. <laughs> Let's just say MEG, which gives you much, much more temporal fidelity, updates much quicker. And again, they paired that with an AI and they showed, they did a bunch of training on it and they showed people images. And I would encourage you to Google it because the, so someone would be shown a picture of a train and then the AI would say, I think you're looking at something like this. And it was just like, oh my God, not just a train, but like the same color, the same orientation, you know? And then they, they, they did it with a whole bunch of stuff. And it wasn't like, this is kind of close. It's like, no, this, this thing can look inside your brain and see what you're saying. See, see what your mind's eye is seeing. So good news. Well, Great news for for people who have certain incapacities and the rest of it. So now that you've got computers that can sort of see inside your mind, there's a lot of cool things that could potentially happen and help there, which which is the really great news. But you've also got Facebook that can now like know what you're thinking and you can imagine like the 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 ads that they could serve up <laughs> based on being able to look into your brain. So early days, but the fact that it works as well as it does, I think was surprising even to the researchers. And just just another another thing that AI is is showing it's it's got potential for. Wasn't yeah. on my bingo card for 2023. Let's put it's it. It's pretty way. wild to look at the pictures of how accurate they are. Like it's exactly yes. what the person was looking at is what the AI can reproduce from their brain waves. So really yeah, pretty cool. wild. One more bit of good news that I think I thought Claude was going to jump in. I think he's distracted. I thought he was going to jump in with how that's going to be used for evil mind reading or something for me. Yeah. Anyway, I'll move on before we get another good news goes bad. <laughs> You've become addicted to my killing everything. <laughs> now I've trained you well. Like you just kill them get, all automatically. One, it's always good when I get one through to the keeper. That's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> this one I think was indisputable. So the UK is medicines regulators approved the first therapy that uses CRISPR-Cas9 gene editing tool as a treatment. So the big thing with CRISPR, this is the ability to edit genes in people. A lot of people focused on the idea of like creating designer babies, but the really mind-blowing part about CRISPR is that it can be used in existing live people to alter the DNA and therefore have you know more optimal outcomes. And this has been used to treat sickle cell anemia or thalassemia basically which leads to the incredible painful episodes and so yeah in this trial people are given this CRISPR edited cells injected into their bone marrow and then from then on that bone marrow produces red blood cells that carry oxygen as they you know should if you didn't have that particular error on your on your DNA. So it's pretty incredible and I think it's just the start of what gets me really excited about genetic medicine, personalized medicine. How do I get some of this CRISPR? Yeah, I mean, I guess for now you'd have to have a uh, a pretty serious thalassemia trait, so you probably don't want probably don't want that. But yeah, I do think that this is I mean, I I don't see Wait, When when are they doing one for like repairing your like yeah, well, lungs, liver, what else do people lose kidneys, whatever it is? Yeah, I mean, that's I think that's all coming. That's going to be so good. Yeah, you asked me last week why I'm bullish on longevity. I think that's that's basically it. Anything that's DNA 
caused by DNA can be, in theory, changed um, over time with these technologies. And there's better stuff than CRISPR coming. Do you know what will probably will probably go up if we crack longevity? House prices. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not bringing it back to house prices. But um, boom. I, I have some thoughts. No, <laughs> I, 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 I would say um, I would say it's another it's an yet another domain which will benefit from the dovetailing of, of adjacent technologies, AI being the obvious one here and the big data sets. I mean, the trouble with, not the trouble, with the, the reality of, with genes is that it's an extraordinarily large data set and very complicated in how that machine, how that code is read and transcribed and all the rest of it. So it's very difficult, but just the perfect kind of fodder for AI. You know, it is it is literally big data, right? And then you've got something that can now learn from that and has the tool set available to do things that just just mind blowing. So yeah, we're we are, we're entering Which- a radical age. Which is a good segue to the main drama of the of the weekend, at least, was OpenAI's. So, okay, so... Yeah, you have to lay this on me because we messaged a few times and I've caught a few things, but it's like... And even just before we've gone to air, there's been more breaking news. So yeah. for, I'll, I'll act as the stoochie. Can yeah, you yeah, lay on. it? So pretend I've, I've never heard of anything except that mm-hmm. you know, OpenAI, the creator yeah. of ChatGPT... And Sam Altman, the founder. Now something's gone on. Tell it. Start from the beginning. Yeah. So the news dropped. It was first like Sam Altman has been fired as CEO. I thought it was like a joke because it's like he's literally on top of the world. He's just like OpenAI just taken another step forward. We talked about it last week of how great ChatGPT 4.5 is. Okay. So but stepping back maybe from there, maybe I'll set the timeline a bit better. So OpenAI originally was created as a nonprofit to advance artificial general intelligence, which means uh, AI that's as good as a human, basically at, at every task like every general task that's what general intelligence not not specifically programming but everything all at once and it was created for that to be a counterweight to like corporate developed ais the idea was that it would be like closer to open source it'd be shared for all of humanity and it would stop the power of an agi so a lot of people in silicon valley believe that we're going to have these super intelligences they see it like a really a really big risk one that it could like turn on humanity if it's not aligned and so open ai was supposed to be there's lab that attracted all the best talent and created an alternative to that in 2019 they were they kind of recognized i don't know you could argue about how this transition came about they also created a for-profit enterprise open ai which was governed and owned majority owned by the nonprofit. and so that for-profit one is what sam altman headed up it's kind of where we saw all the benefits of gpt with gpt3 through to the present day changing the world came from that side yeah so it was created to advance the technology and basically that it had to be this huge billions of dollars investment right they'd buy in all the best you know gpus to train this thing it takes you know maybe a hundred million dollars to train all these different rumors very expensive to run and so that was the full profit side and that's where sam altman who formerly of y combinator had been heading up and became kind of the most you could say the like number one person in tech you know is leading OpenAI had a massive lead over everyone else beating google and then we just get this news that he's been fired and at first i think a lot of the reactions to this are like oh how could the board do this don't they know it's going to destroy value but the thing they're missing is that the board isn't like a, a company board it's a board of a non-profit with this social mission to have ai be available and also from a safety angle that it doesn't become super intelligent and take over the world and it's not because so, he didn't wasn't potentially maximizing profits it was because yeah. he was going against their core mandate that's that's what it seems and the weird yep. thing is they haven't actually come out and said 
anything specifically of why why he was fired. They've just said they said that it was for lacking candor, which basically says that he lied. Like that was the other yeah. drama. And and just can I just put my tinfoil hat on for a moment? Is it the idea is a sort of like they've got some brain in a box that's like gonna make chat GPT five look like a you know chicken and that Sam's just racing to sort of release unleash this onto the world before it's ready. It's like, well, we need you to step back. Yeah, he, so that's the that's not. the that's the main speculation of what's happened. So GPT five is obviously under development, and Sam had said like a week ago that we've just made another breakthrough. It's like one of the biggest breakthroughs I've seen, and making other comments that twenty twenty four is going to be the craziest year in AI. Like no, everyone's underrating how much you've seen nothing yet. Next year, basically, yeah. And so the speculation was that the board led by Ilya, who was like kind of the brains behind OpenAI. He was the big get. I just saw some Elon Musk was, Elon Musk was massively behind OpenAI, by the way. So he invested maybe a hundred million dollars or something to get it started. He attracted this guy to, because he was the brains. Anyway, the, the speculation was he had seen something like what had Ilya seen in this like black box to like, to, to, you know, to warrant taking such a drastic action. Maybe he had seen and then say maybe Sam wanted to push ahead, but we still haven't heard. This is as of Tuesday morning when we we're recording this. We still haven't heard specifically what the board made this call over. And I just think it's an interesting thing for board, board discussion as well, because this is broader. The board had changed a lot over the last few years. And so a lot of like people had stepped down for different reasons. So the board became smaller and they didn't replace people. So like Reid Hoffman founder of LinkedIn was on the board but he stepped down and others stepped down and it kind of left the small board of only five people three of which were kind of outsiders to OpenAI and one of whom is actually competing with OpenAI he, he heads and, and and now the speculation is it wasn't earlier it was him that was kind of instigating all of this and he literally has a direct competitor to OpenAI called Poe which was you know getting some traction and competing and so yeah maybe maybe he has some you know he's mastermind of all this kicking sam out kind of destroying open ai but the mission the reason that they stayed was because of the mission and so yeah so i think that's one interesting thing of like the how much power a board has the fact that this isn't like a corporate board so all the takes saying being like ah oh, these idiots are going to not make as much money is like completely missing the point because that's not what the board's duty is the board's duty is to achieve this mission okay so then all of open ai staff started to revolt you know maybe they really really like sam maybe it's the money that they you know they've gone from an 80 billion valuation to what if sam's gone so sam was fired another another key founder was removed from the board everyone revolts and said you've got to uh, the, the person they promoted uh, mira to take over then turned team sam and was going to say as soon as my first job as ceo would bring back sam and so then they gave a deadline you have to by like 5 p.m on this day you have to put sam back in or we're all going to quit and they all started doing weird stuff on twitter like a cult where they all tweet the same thing and do a little heart emoji or something and so then that deadline passes the board doesn't agree they announce that they're not bringing him back they're going to put in this former ceo of twitch emmett Shear, who people think isn't as good as sam you know i guess some debate you see what he does but twitch obviously very different from a from an open ai in terms of its like credibility in the industry twitch is a streaming platform for anyone who's not like watching computer game streaming and then microsoft Sachin and Della announces that sam is joining microsoft heading up a new research division <laughs> and now like the idea is like all the employees are just going to quit and join microsoft and literally out of 778 employees as of the time we're recording this something like 720 have signed a letter saying that they will quit unless you bring back sam letter to the board of OpenAI, including Ilya, one of the board members who was involved and now says he regrets this whole thing and yeah so it's what literally the craziest it's the craziest drama for the biggest most important company in the most yeah. important 
important technology. And it looks like the current status, it looks like Microsoft is kind of like acquiring OpenAI for zero dollars because they're buying yeah. all of this, getting all of the staff to move across like 700 potentially. Yep. And they still own, they have the partnership with OpenAI. So they own access to all of the code, basically all, yeah. the, all the model weights yep. and they run everything because everything runs on Azure. Yep. Their investment in OpenAI is... Uh, they just gave them credits in Azure. So you could say that they could just, they're completely at the whim of Microsoft anyway. And now they might have acquired all of OpenAI for zero dollars without any regulatory scrutiny. Wow. So that's kind of where we end at this stage. But wow. I don't know, there's possible that Sam still go back. There's like, you know, it's wild. And we still don't know why they were fired at this stage. I guess the, there's a lot of different angles to take with it. One is There'll if you're worried be about- seven more twists and turns by the time everyone's listening this, Matt. Mm-hmm. Or, or you got to- or we got to release this one early or something. It's- <laughs> no, there will. I think you're right. I think there'll be a lot more twists and turns. I guess what we can say now is, I don't know. It's it's a it's a very it's the wildest stuff I've ever seen. I, I think it highlights boards, like how boards can be different from the company management team, and thinking about the board structure actually matters a lot more than people rate. And yeah, just how fast it, ha- it reminds me of the Silicon Valley bank collapse, where there was this run on the bank, and it's kind of like there's a run on the company where every employee resigns and agrees to move i don't think that would have been possible without social media it was all organized on twitter i think in 95 percent of employees deciding to quit before the business even opens on its next trading day is, is wild it's like yeah it's like a run on the run on the company instead of i'm sure i speak for many listeners when i say oh, yeah thanks for the down download on that it's been a hard to follow kind of you know explosion of noise sounds like a it's like the it's like the nerds version of a soapy or something like that <laughs> yeah. so. someone said it's like nerds version of the tv show succession i haven't seen like three seasons of yeah, succession right. the irony the irony here is that the unintended consequence let, let's let's assume for a moment that they were worried about a safety issue sam moving too fast and, th- and that's why they got rid of him well it's actually that that We've action reached the wild speculations part of the podcast oh yeah oh yeah, oh, yeah i'm gonna lay it out but but i mean the irony is is that well now that it's well looking like it might all just go to microsoft it's sort of like well you've you, you were better off, you know, keep your, your friends close and your enemies closer kind of thing if you want to take Oh, yeah, angle. it's way worse for, for AI safety because now everyone, I mean- yeah. It was every, under their every, purview and now it's yeah. not. AI safety and alignment is a big thing. Like all the people who, uh, the reason that OpenAI was successful is that it attracted all the people who care about AI and they believe, like Jeff Hinton, one of the leading, it's not just weirdos saying this, I guess yeah. is what I'm trying to point yeah, out. Yeah. You might disagree. Like I'm not saying that they're right, yeah. but the, a lot of the leading thinkers of AI went to OpenAI specifically because they're so worried about the power of this technology and want to keep it aligned. And so that was like why they attracted and became the leader. So I don't know, but yeah, you're right. This I think it shifts the, the game entirely that like every company will be looking at their safety division and thinking like, are you guys going to try and slow us down or stop me? Meta apparently has like disbanded its safety organization like a month mm-hmm. or two ago. And so just will everyone just stop that? And now we just, it, you're right, this could just push it out there where before it was going to be like the leader was kind of had the structure that might have kept them thinking yeah. about it. Maybe now everyone's just like, you know, pedal to the accelerator. I think so. Yeah. I mean, it's the, the game theory take on it. It is the biggest thing in Silicon Valley, arguably the biggest thing on, on earth in a lot of ways it's very it's very hard to read anything in the mainstream media that doesn't involve like a picture of a t-1000 or something you know <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> terminator it's just sort of like you know you get the normal giggles and oh no, it's art life imitates art kind of thing and like well no when you've got some of the best not just some like a pretty i would say a majority of the best minds and thinkers in this space saying no guys we need to be worried about this it's something that you do need to to take seriously but there is so much money to like so much money to be made here. I just don't know how you handbrake it 
because, I mean, the UK had a big symposium or conference or whatever, PM there sooner. And it's like, even at the state level, you can't control it because there'd be researchers in China, there'd be researchers in all over the world. And it's like, there is first and then there is last in, in things like this. Like once you've got a half decent AGI, like, well, that's it. That's the last invention that humanity ever makes. Like literally, and, and is it like, well, should we go really slow and be safe here? And just in case it's like, well, we might, but those dudes over there aren't going to. So I just, I don't, I, I don't, unless you have some global coordinated effort and even then far from guarantee, this is wild stuff. Yeah. I think it depends on the cost to build because there is stuff where we have had global coordinated efforts that it seemed to have worked. Like we haven't cloned a human to the knowledge of everybody so to far. Knowledge, maybe, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And we, you know, nuclear non like we've yep. managed to limit nuclear weapons quite significantly, et cetera. True. So I think it's possible if it's expensive, if it's very easy and cheap to do and that keeps happening, then eventually maybe it, it you know, it's not. That's, but that's I think it's possible issue. that it would, yeah, it would require a lot of coordination. To do that's it. why the Symbio doomsday scenario is so scary because you can just buy a printer, you mm-hmm. know, and print up some some engineered Ebola or something in, in your yeah. basement, you know, maybe a $20,000 investment and an undergraduate degree in bio technology it's not it's not a big hurdle it's like where if i'm going to purify some uranium okay that's a big effort and that's that's going to come I, regulators can have a hope of controlling that actually it was my next question for you is when you look at the field of the current state of play state of the art is open ai head and shoulders above the rest or is this like a has the zero to one moment sort of happened and now it's just sort of like not all of the IP out in the public domain, but those in the know is sort of like, well, oh my gosh, look what those those people did over there. We can do something like that too. And then now it's just a it's a scramble, or is it no? Like they're years. Like if, if you were to, if you were to speaking of Terminator, go back in time and kill Sam Altman as a baby and do all these other kinds of things. Does that delay the onset of AGI by like twenty years, or is it just like no, we're, we're all we're all pretty close at this point. I mean, yeah, I guess the the thing is now they've all moved, right? So if we're talking about like what happens from today, this doesn't right. slow it down much, I think. It would slow it down maybe six months until they set up at Microsoft. But it's all the, it's literally wow. 700 people out of 700 leaving and going to the company that already runs all the stuff. It's literally just copying from one Azure directory to another effectively. Like it's, 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 yeah. So I don't think that this slows it down much. I think it's just they've lost control of the OpenAI kind of nonprofit has lost control of it and made it. I do think, okay, so interesting takeaways for us. I think it opens up the race for AI. Like if this does mm. cause a stumble, maybe yeah. Google could enter. But I also just the fact that it really helps Microsoft. Like they have OpenAI for free basically now. Like they have, it's all in-house. The best people, the most important technology. So I don't know if it was thinking. I'm glad I bought yeah. Microsoft shares when this OpenAI news first dropped a while back. Mm. When they first partnered, I, felt, with I them. felt like was that the thesis, and it felt like such. Yeah, it's like the dude. You know, I've stopped. I've stopped. I'm probably going to get back into some time, but I'm. I've lost touch with US stocks. I don't research them. Just buy them on stupid whims. Stole the idea of someone else, whatever. Which is what I did for Microsoft when this Open AI <laughs> thing. I was like, I feel like such a lemming now. Just going to buy it based on this news. <laughs> it's. I'm glad I did. Yeah. Wow. Sometimes the first order thinking just works. <laughs> <I'm telling you. laughs> <laughs> One of the greatest mistakes I've ever learned. Like, I just, 
I remember when I was first learning to invest, you know, I listened to smart people and it's all about second order thinking. Yeah, like what's the second <laughs> order? What's the third order? I'm so far ahead. And half the time I realized like, yes, that that is a good, important thing. And, and to get a really long-term big winner, you need that. But sometimes just first order, most obvious thing that pops into your mind. Bang. I think that's a midwit thing, isn't it? It's like, yeah, it's, exactly. it is true. As long as the smart person also thinks the same as the first order thing. I think that, I think, that, I think there are a lot of cases like that. I think that's fair. Yeah. So anyway, I, I don't know if you guys in your head had any other thoughts on it. I think it's the wildest, the wildest thing we've seen. I think it is wild too. Yeah. I think it's so fast as well. Yeah. Yeah. I just hope it. I just hope it hobbles Worldcoin to some extent. But let's not even yeah, go there. Yeah. Sam, yeah. Sam's other great like invention. Well, speaking of Microsoft, another company that works with Microsoft. Oh, smooth segue <laughs> is Volpara, which reported uh, results this morning. Which well, obviously it's Tuesday now. So. Yeah, what'd you think? I thought they're pretty good. Well, we've covered this company quite a lot. Uh, look, I don't, I don't really have an overall opinion on on the results right now. I listened to the conference call, but I haven't actually, uh, you know, spent enough time to to think about what I think. I guess one thing that struck me from the conference call is that when they said, uh, someone asked a question about, oh, do you think, and I'm paraphrasing all of this from memory, or do you think that the fact that you're going after improved cash flow is meaning you're sacrificing opportunities? And the CEO made some kind of offhand comment, which I didn't quite understand the implications of, which was like, oh, well, wait until you see our European expansion plans or something like that. And I was just like, the implication that popped into my head was that that she was kind of alluding to the fact that like, yeah, they're improving cash flow, say maybe up to around break even. And then after that, they're kind of going to start spending any free cash flow on this European expansion plan. I don't know if that was the implication, but yeah, that was one thing that made me going to kind of go, hmm. Uh, what, you don't you don't like that? No, I, I think that the company's good. I've like followed it for years. No, I mean, I think, you don't like the the idea of European expansion? I think that the company definitely should just pursue actual operating leverage over an inflection point. Like, holy, it sounds like a ter- terrible bad idea. I can't believe that they're, like, talking about hiring in Europe, hiring a new director of European sales. Like, the CFO, who I really like, he was saying that they were thinking of adding a little bit in sales. But obviously, there's a lag. They hire sales and things only increase later. So, that may be related to Europe. I'm not sure. Seems like a pretty bad idea to me. They're not yet profitable. Yes, their cash flow has improved massively. Yes, their losses decreased massively. But I would just just enjoy like just show us the profit. Like that that's what you want to what that's what they should do for sure. Like obviously it does make sense for them to hire in the implementation technical side of things, as they explained on the call. And I think as you were asking about when we were chatting before the show, Andrew, they have this contracted annualized recurring me- revenue metric which they report which is ahead of their actual annualized recurring revenue now to credit to these guys they actually just do report their proper ARR I don't like it when a company just starts reporting CARR and no ARR or whatever that's real bad but these guys do both so that's fine and what they were actually explicitly calling out was that some hiring need maybe would be justified in doing implementations faster which would with the view to catch up that ARR to the CARR. And I think that's an incredibly good idea because not only will that be good for the finances short term, but on top of that, and most importantly, your reputation as a software company is tied to how quickly you can and perfectly you can do implementations. Like this is an obvious thing that they should be spending on. That's great. Spending on sales, 
that seems like a bad idea. Spending, I was trying to wonder, what is the cost of the European expansion? Just nail it. I don't think it's time for Volpare to to do continue trying to grab market share in this way. Like there there are going to be more competitors in their space. I think that Volpare, what they've done well is they've been first to market with the breast density automation system, and that's given them a real in. And then they should right now be building themselves strongly as a competitor, which means you want to have a good product and good margins and be profitable and invest not necessarily in geographic expansion as a priority. I agree with them adapting their existing US software for Australian use, but you just want to own those niches, right? You just want to be in a good, strong niche and make start making a profit and then seems like a great idea to improve their implementation times. Claude, what do you think of just talking about OpenAI being a nonprofit? Volpara is set up as a B Corp. So it's like structurally designed to not just focus on profit. I guess, do you think that that could be like playing a factor here that they're not just, yeah, not as worried about generating profit maybe than another company might be as we've seen most other software companies focus more on profit recently? Do you think that could be like their mission as a B Corp could be why they're expanding rather than rather than generating returns? It could be. If so, that's definitely not my favorite way of using the B Corp cover. So first of all, I disagree with this whole idea of signing up to be a B Corp, blah, blah, blah. You should just be a profit organization and be like, our profit aligns with what is good because we think long term. So we don't give it we don't care if you don't think that it's smart of us to donate to charity or whatever. I that would be my preferred way of proceeding, but the B Corp as I understand it, you know, it's just cover to be able to make those kind of decisions. For example, Australian Ethical recently cutting fees definitely didn't maximize profit in the short term. But you could easily say, actually, well that's a good business decision long term because if we don't cut fees, eventually we'll be uncompetitive. So, personally I don't care whether it's a B Corp or not. That's a great question. Could it be that they're going to do uneconomical expansion for B Corp. You know what? I thinking about the DNA of the company, I would not put anything past them. Like I genuinely think they're not purely motivated by profit. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna <laughs> have to back up for the for the dummy in the room here. B Corp. Uh, I'll, I'll find you the I'll find you the the actual definition. I, I didn't know they were. A, didn't know they were that. It's Are a they? certification that demonstrates that it has high standards of performance, accountability, and Social impact. So yeah, and it's like an ESG thing. So and yeah, yeah. I'm I don't think Wikipedia it's known. Now. That's not. I don't want to say that's an ESG thing because this ESG has become this specific niche, ridiculous boss box checking. That's why it's ESG. That's like a specific ridiculous thing. It is unfair when you can't just lump all the attempts for people to do good as ESG. ESG is super triggering to some people as well, like <laughs> yeah, because I, it I, is I'm stupid. Like, I think it, yeah, it's it's similar. Like if, if you're thinking of like the words involved, it's similar. But yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying. Like it's not like quote unquote ESG. So yeah, B Lab certification is a third party standard requiring companies to meet social sustainability and environmental performance standards, meet accountability standards, and be transparent to the public according to the score they receive on the assessment. B-Lab certification applies to the whole company across all product lines, blah, blah, blah. I don't think it's a good idea though, but personally, I think that also people put that into the DNA of their company. So it gives the generations of people within the company ability to like bring in other stakeholders. And I can understand that that impulse makes a lot of sense. Let me let me just back up a little bit here. I'll read out some some numbers here. So we saw, you know, 18% growth in CAR, C-A-R-R and A-R-R. So margin maintained near enough 92%. I thought two two things that were interesting was the average revenue per account uh, was 25% higher and the net revenue retention was 112%. That's a good sign. I think it's a, it's beyond just a good sales team, but like people actually like use 
increasingly the product. I think that was really nice. Free cash flow, break even, positive operating cash flow. So I thought it was actually pretty decent all round. Still got, I think, 12 odd million in cash. So I think that there's no threat of any kind of capital raise. I take all of your points, Claude. Although I probably, I would say there's a there's a, a Zen middle path here. I don't think the choice is necessarily between maximizing profit now and continuing to burn cash at the pursuit of, of growth. I would say that it's more about being able to self-fund growth in the sense that if Europe is an attractive opportunity, and I guess it, on the face of it, it is very large and wealthy population and all the same kind of issues that, that need to be sort of solved there. If you can capture that market- Oh, you don't? Contest, contest. Yeah, I'll come back like to that. I'll come back to that. Completely public healthcare systems, absolute disaster. Alcidian is the living proof of the of the absolute much more hostile for selling your software product environment that you face there, which we like Alcidian and man, it's been to our detriment because it's just, just way harder to do business in the European public healthcare systems. Different languages, different healthcare systems, like more like split up markets. Yes, obviously they're going to start with UK, which will solve the language issue. But we're seeing how Alcidian, seeing how hard it is to do anything in the UK. It's te- it's a way worse market for the company themselves, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I, definitely. I mean, it's just healthcare full, and full bureaucracy and government. It's always difficult. It is, it is. But it, it's also... Promedicus, man, doesn't even bother, basically, except for Germany, which they've basically do just because the people that invented their products are German. Yeah. No, I take the point. I just, I guess my point being is that there's- Also, if, disclosure, if, I own our city and Promedicus. And and if is a big, a big word here, I'm doing a lot of lifting, but if the opportunity is there and you can self-fund that growth there, so we're just going to target neutral free cash flow and maximize our long-term discounted cash flows, I would say you should do it. Yeah, but they right? should do that. I would get behind that like plan if if they're like, all right, guys, we're going to get to cash flow neutral and then just keep it at one to two million dollars per year. We'll keep it above zero. Yeah. And then we've got money to invest. I would say invest in that implementation time. Invest in in rolling out in the USA. You've got Prometicus literally releasing a breast density algorithm. Like they've they've kind of fast followed you here with maybe better technology. So yeah, you probably want to just focus on getting that market where you know you've got a, a competitor breathing down your neck in the next few years. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. And then see and hopefully be really profitable as well. Like Volpara has like got a five or more year advantage here. Like they've got a huge head start in this specific niche. They have already done, you know, leverage this into other exactly adjacent and sensible products like risk pathways and what is the other one again anyway there are three main products and they yeah i think that they've done a lot of things right and they've done a lot of things well and they should just try to you know and and oftentimes you know with these little niches it'll end up there will there won't be a very competitive market even when the market's mature there might be two or three solutions and in software in particular, it's quite possible that they're all sort of quite profitable little businesses. It's not always somebody dying, especially when that, you know, you're often replacing some super outdated. There's a there's a lot of room to replace super outdated experiences as well. So yeah, so it's the analytics patient hub. That's the, it's smaller, but growing. And then the risk pathways one. So I think that they're doing, you know, quite good stuff. And, they're, and the other thing I was saying that I think makes sense is that they're taking, was it the risk pathways one and trying to, adapt it for Australia and New Zealand. And that might be a little bit inspired by the B Corp thing because the CEO did say that part of the reason was that they've got a huge amount of workforce in Australia and New Zealand and they want all of their products available to, you know, the the home countries as it were. And I think that the logic there is fine. I think that 
you're making and that's good maybe you get a sweet little niche and and get stuck there so it's good i'm not against all european expansion it just doesn't make me feel as bullish as keeping costs flat would yeah that's a good point in healthcare I, 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 for me, it was, it still retains a pretty juicy premium. I mean, what are we like, even on their guidance, so forward basis price to sales is pretty much on five. So it just sort of, it just, it's sort of at that area of given the uncertainty we know in terms of what, how much emphasis they are going to put on further growth and whether we are going to see those operating, operating leverage jaws sort of open up or not. It's just sort of, I would be much more inclined at a, at a for me, it's just a valuation consideration given some of the uncertainties in there there's not there's not much of a margin of safety at, at five time sales you know not to take anything away from the incredible top line growth and opportunity that that is there and i certainly see the potential but there's just not a lot of wiggle room for you know a, a big competitor coming in and fighting you or maybe a an ill-conceived geographic expansion all that kind of stuff yeah i i sorry to anyone who owns it but i would love i would love to see it drop a bit more because then i i get a lot more interested yeah, That's exactly. true of anything, I suppose. But you so, know, you in know, this case, certainly. Or the thing is, like, if it just grew, if it if it just did pretty slim ten percent profit margins, maybe I could get around it. And it would still be a pretty high PE ratio if that was the case, and it'd be priced, you know. But I'd still like if it was actually profitable at ten percent profit margins, which is pretty low for a software company. Yeah, it'd be a PE of what thirty five forty something more. like that, or uh, I think more like fifty. Okay. Okay. Yeah, What's is PE? Yeah, exactly. It's cheap compared to Prometheus. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I don't really mean that. Me. It's a low PE ratio yeah, yeah. compared to Prometheus. You could write a lot sure. of theses. It's cheap sweet, man. I think it's had a new all-time high today, actually. But Andrew, that means if you hadn't sold, you'd have a hundred bagger on the purchase <laughs> we bought on the same day or whatever. <laughs> Thanks, Claude. Thanks for reminding no me of that. Yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I love, I love to be reminded of literally my biggest investing mistake ever. Any thoughts on the AGM, Claude? Prometheus AGM. Yes, yes, I did. I did jot down some thoughts that are on the website, but I think that the probably the most interesting little tidbit that I got out of it was a friend of mine asked a question, and one in the answer he said the tidbit was a hundred percent renewal rate so far, and so yeah, that's obviously didn't know that information. Pretty good to hear. There could have been some smaller contract that had rolled off or whatever. But yeah, obviously it's early days in terms of the big Visage contracts that are coming up. But also they said on the call basically, oh yeah, we didn't announce this, but we've also been selling Worklist into our old Visage customer base as well. So actually it's the opposite of like, so far it's obviously, you know, the net retention rate is way above 100% because some people they're selling in the Worklist, some people they're selling in the, the VNA, but the, the Worklist is the newest one. So there's like a much bigger group of customers who were originally signed before the Worklist was a product in the US. And so there's plenty of upside potential from the Worklist. And also they put up the prices when they renew as well, but still giving some discount for renewal. So yeah, either way that looks... In terms of the actual business, I've definitely just continually amazed at the absolute confluence of events that where you get this high quality business that also happens to be run by like very high quality and by quality i mean like the integrity of the of the humans at the top of the show in pro medicus have been just really good like just exercising good judgment from a decade of me watching them and just good behavior and everything and people always try and have a crack at them for whatever it is like these guys announced they were going to sell shares like before they did like how many companies even do that anyway the point is come away from the agm perfectly happy in the quality of course one can argue to the heart's consent about 
the valuation. Yeah, well, I think it's overvalued. <laughs> I thought that at much lower levels. So what the hell do I know? Fair enough. Any other closing thoughts, gents, or should we wrap it up there? Uh, no, it's pretty good. Oh, actually, well, I'll give you another bit of good news on AI. I should have mentioned this at the start too. I've been seeing a few pods lately. There's some AI plugins that will real-time translate you into another language. Mm. But what's which, cool- which country are we entering? Are we so this was my yep. pitch, right? So I think we, we obviously Spanish is a big, big uh, market, uh-huh. you know, maybe some Mandarin that that'd help as well. What's really cool about the tech though, is that it's not just translating it to make you sound like Stephen Hawking or something. It's like, it's your, it's your usual intonations and speech patterns. It's like, as if you were speaking. And icing on the cake or cherry on the top is that it actually adjusts your lip movements to speak it. So I've seen these these pods yeah, or where, they, where they do, and, and like the person is speaking Spanish flawlessly in their own voice with the lips matching it, and it's being and it's you know it's just sort of like wow that is that is that is amazing. So yeah, let's uh, let's bring ASX small caps to like <laughs> Argentina or something. <laughs> I'm sure there's three people there that would be interested. Yeah. Did you guys have any small cap news that you wanted to chuck in the mix? Oh, not really. So one of the companies that I know that you you used to follow is Supply Networks. Well, its main competitor Maxi Parts took another acquisition, which to me just is the basically the thesis for Supply Network. If you really boil it down to a sentence, is organic distribution network growth is better than acquisitive distribution network growth because you can like calculate the optimal points better. Whereas if you're just acquiring stuff, then it's like piecemeal. I don't know if that's right. If anyone disagrees with that thesis, hit me up. But anyway, MaxiParts did another acquisition, as is their style. And I hold shares in Supply Network. Yeah, great company. I wish I did. Now you were the one that gave me that idea. Seriously, I guess. Yeah, I was waiting for it. I was waiting for it to drop like three cents or something (laughs) stupid. (laughs) No, oh, you man, recommended it, man. Heaps of people bought it. You recommended oh. it. That's I remember because I was looking at it for hidden gems and you recommended it on Dividend Investor. And I was like, oh. <laughs> hey, when, you're, when you're, you're wrong 49% of the time, you're right 51% of the time. <laughs> no, that's, a, that's a rare gem. Anyway, it may not be. I don't know. Who knows? You can never tell the future. But yeah, it's it's got some good features. Well, that's it for me then. Small cap news segment over. <laughs> excellent all right we'll wrap it there thanks everyone very much for listening hit us up on twitter if you've got any questions at baby giants pod and yeah chat to you again next week yeah. bye everyone